I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. Welcome to episode 106 of Baseball and Barbecue. I am here with my co-host, Jeff Cohen. And I'm here with my co-host, Lenny Berman. Hello, everybody. Hello. Jeff. Len. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were making a point. This is an episode that we feel very strongly about. It's a little different, much different than anything we've ever done. Yes. There will not be any barbecue talk on this episode. But this episode, basically, Jeff and I realized we have a platform. It gives us the ability to do things that we want to do and get things done. This episode is devoted to our arguments and our guests' arguments for having Gil Hodges finally, after such a long overdue time, get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. The Veterans Committee or the Golden Era Committee, whatever committee they named, supposed to vote in December. And I don't know if Gil Hodges is on the ballot, but right. he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And we have some special guests who are going to talk about that and discuss why he, he belongs in rightful place in the Baseball Hall of Fame. What we tried to do, and tonight's guests are a perfect example, we tried to get someone who was actually who played for him as a manager that's right oh, actually i'm sorry he even he even played with him as played a player, with him but he played with him as a player and as, and he played for him as a manager right and then we wanted to have somebody who wrote about baseball and was uh, uh, basically i i consider an expert in this oh, in he's this, been it, writing the, the america's most beloved sports writer he's been doing this 45 years right and of course, there are a lot of podcasts that are dedicated to the Mets, but not all of them understand Mets history. And we will have on a couple of people from the Mets and podcast. So we have former Major League Baseball player, former Met, started with the Mets, Ed Cranepool will be our first guest. Yes. And after Ed Cranepool, we will have Kevin Kernan, who wrote for the New York Post for 35 years. And now writes for a website called Ball Nine. So check that out. And then our third guests will be Sam Maxwell and Michael Colant right. from the P Metsian podcast. Yes, which is an exceptional Mets podcast. There are a number of Mets podcasts and 
not all dedicated to the history, but they know the history and they give great arguments as to why he should be answered. We have Ed Cranepool who will give his argument as to why Gil Hodges should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Baseball and BBQ is proud to have with us an original New York Met. He was part of the Miracle Mets 1969 World Champions and the 1973 You Gotta Believe National League Championship Mets. He owns a record that will never be broken, the most hits at Chase Stadium, a product of Monroe High School in the Bronx, where he broke Hank Greenberg's home run record. He's here with us today to talk about the great Gil Hodges. In fact, on September 22nd, 1962, his first game, he took over for Gil Hodges at first base. He's a New York Met icon and a fan favorite. It's our pleasure to welcome Ed Trainpool to Baseball and BBQ. Welcome, Ed. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here on this Saturday afternoon. Yes. We, obviously, we want to talk to you about Gil Hodges. And I was looking up, you were born in 1944, so you were a, a youngster when Gil played in Brooklyn. Do you remember him playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers? Well, the only time I remember Gil is when they played the Giants, because I happened to be a Yankee fan being brought up in the Bronx. But I did watch the Giant-Dodgers series. You know, they were exciting. They were two great teams from New York, and obviously they had some great players. But um, I never followed the Dodgers. I liked the uh, Yankees. And then I followed the Giants on occasion as my mother was a Giant fan. We all know that Gil Hodges was your manager, but he was also your teammate. How's the relationship between the two of you, first as a young young teammate and then as your manager? Well, when I joined the ball club in 1962, I was a young player out of, out of the Bronx, and Gil took me under his wing, and he actually showed me the whole thing about how to play first base. It was amazing. Uh, Gil was a, a great instructor. And he took me under his under his arm and he showed me the proper way of fundamentally playing first base. And I see today, after all these years, guys still don't have good footwork. And that's because they didn't get the proper training. But Gil was, you know, he was able to teach me how to play first base. And you can do that in a closet. You can take guys aside. You don't have to be on the field. You get the right footwork and you're able to stretch a little further. You can cross over the line you can make plays that other guys can't even get to and you make it look easy that's the difference between a, a good first baseman and a guy that's kind of clumsy you make everything look easy so they don't think plays are difficult you save a guys a lot of throwing errors you save a guys a lot of plays that uh, you know you wouldn't normally get ed i don't want to lead the witness here and put words in your mouth but being so young on this team for people that don't know, uh, were you 17, 18 when you joined the Mets? I was 17. I joined them, and it wasn't a lot of fun because there was nobody my age to pal out with. So the road trips were very long, very tedious, and it wasn't a lot of fun for me, especially on the Mets when we were losing every day because there was nothing you could do to excite the fans and get them in a positive vein. It was all negative information coming out of the press. They were writing out about how the Mets lost, not about young players who might have got two hits, three hits, made a good defensive play. Everything is negative. You know, so the first couple of years until we started establishing our club, bringing up young players on our own, did I have fun playing baseball again? And I was used to having fun. I mean, I was used to winning in, in every right. position I played. Of course. Well, so then a man like Gil Hodges is almost... He's almost like more like a father figure than than a 
Well, probably a lot of the players on the team were, but Gil Hodges might have been more of a father figure to you than even he becomes a manager, but because you were so young, did you look at him in a, in a different way or as a fellow teammate, or did you, did you look at him with the level of respect, like almost like he was one of your elders? Well, I looked at him with, with respect just for that particular reason. Even my roommate was Frank Thomas. He was 35 years of age and he had about five children. So what do you have in common when you're 17? You know, I'm looking to go to the movies and have some fun, do some things. He's looking to do other things, go home to his family. He had nothing in common. Same thing with Gil, but he was such a good disciplinarian. He was a strong leader, strong person. And I'll tell you what, he commanded respect just by being on the field. And he was a great leader. We made a trade to get him back after we let him go to Washington to become the manager. He got a little schooling down there and he came back to New York and he was a great influence on all the players. And without Gil, we don't develop so fast after 68 and win a pennant 69. He was our inspirational leader that really led this ball club. And we win many, many more championships if Gil survives. When we lost him in 71, we lost our leader. We lost everything. We had no head at the top of our, our organization at that point. And of course, it made a big difference. Yes. And both Len and I, and, I'm, and I know probably you do too, think he should be in the Hall of Fame. So but, but when I'm looking at his baseball reference page, it shows that he has an eight-time All-Star. While never winning the MVP, he did get nine votes in nine years. He won the first three Gold Glove Awards, and he would have won more if, was, if the award was around back then. 370 home runs, at the, which at the time of his retirement was the most for, by a right-handed hitter. Some will point to less than 2,000 hits, never mind that he missed two, two seasons to the military service. His batting average was 273, and, and half of his starting team was already Hall of Famers. So my question to you is, he's just more than stats on a baseball reference page. What do you well, think? I think, unfortunately, what happens is as, as you get on in years, the people that are voting for the situation in the Hall of Fame never saw Gill play, never could appreciate the type of player he was, how sound he was defensively, how good of an offensive ball club he was uh, on a team. He had a lot of home runs in the dead era. You know, that it wasn't as easy to hit home runs back in those days. Right. He led the league and he was up there at the top with all those guys. And he, he has the stats to be in the Hall of Fame and should be in it. And as far as a manager, he would have been a great manager if he was around long enough. He was just coming into his prime as a manager. He was very young when he passed on. He would have been around with the best pitching staff in baseball. And the way Gil handled people and the pitching staff, these guys would have been around a long, long time. And, of course, we could have won in 73 if Gil was the manager. We lost that in seven games to Oakland. We should have won that game. That was a managerial decision that cost us the World Series. And then, of course, we could have kept on, and we had a good ball club. We should have been in the pennant race for the years to come, but we lost it right away. Ed, there's a lot of talk now about how much a manager uh, means to a team now. But back then, I think it was different. And and especially with Gil, he, he knew how to – move the players around. He knew how to platoon players. He knew how to give players their proper rest. He knew how to talk to players. Were you the type of player that needed, you know, your daily encouragement or were you more the type of player? Leave me alone. I'll go out there. I'll do my thing. 
Well, I'd like the manager to talk to me once in a while when you're struggling. You don't need anybody to talk to you when you're doing well. You know, but Bill was a tough disciplinarian. And you know what? He did convince guys that platooning was the best thing for the Mets, you know, in the 60s. And he moved us around. Nobody liked it because it affected your career. Nobody wants to be platooned. Everyone wants to play. And anyone that produced in the minor leagues got up to the major leagues. So you had to play against lefties and righties. But Gil felt that was the best for the organization. He kept everybody strong. He didn't pull any surprises. He treated everybody the same. He was a tremendous leader. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think this is his last go-around right now. But uh, you know what? It shouldn't have come down to this. He was a great, great player. Yeah, the other thing with with baseball is that... And I was, I was, of course, going down the rabbit hole and reviewing everything I could on Gil Hodges. And his fielding was exceptional. Baseball just, they could say all they want how, you know, it's considered even, you know, defense, offense. But defensive players just do not, unless it's an Ozzie Smith or Brooks Robinson or something like that, they don't put the same emphasis on defense that they do on offense. They just don't. You you see, you know, he didn't have this many hits or he, he hit uh, his career average, I think was like 273 or something. So he didn't have a, a 300 average or, but he was one of the best at his position. That's correct. And, you know, defense is certainly important in a ball game. But Gil did it very quietly. He manned his position. He played it very, very well. Back in the 50s and 60s, defensive players were a dime a dozen. You could shake a tree and, and, and come up with a defensive player because he didn't have, have to have any offense. Gil could do it both. You know, he hit a lot of home runs, drove in a lot of runs. You know, but defensive players, they were easy to come by. But they don't get the credit. When you put a defensive player in in the eighth and ninth inning, he's supposed to make those plays. Otherwise, he's not in the ball game. But Gil could do it all. He taught you how to play first base. He taught you how to give with the ball, how to have soft hands, how to make certain plays look easy. A lot of guys make plays look tough. Okay, and they're really not. He taught me how to cheat. And, and, and you know, we had a, a play at first base with Tom Haller back in the Giants where he was called out because Gill had taught me how to come off the base before catching the ball. With instant replay today, they would they would go back and review it, and they see my foot would be a foot off the base and didn't have the ball. And Tom Howell was actually called out one day, and he argued with the umpire, not because he thought he was safe or out. He had never beat out an infield grounder. He was very slow as a catcher. you know. But when he beat it out, he said, how can you call me out? And the umpire said, you were out. The ball beat you. The next day in the newspapers, there was a picture of me at first base stretching, Tom Howell being called out by the umpire, and I didn't have the ball in my glove. You, They actually showed the picture where the ball was out in front. So he got called out on a play because I used a phantom tag at first base. I came off the ball gradually and slowly, and you know I caught the ball, but they heard the sound and you know, they thought it was, I was on the base. They weren't looking at my foot. You couldn't do that today because instant replay would catch you right away. And they'd stay up. You're not on the base and obviously safe. But you know what? That's little things that Gil could teach you. And of course, that doesn't go in the record book. He was a great leader. He taught, you know, he treated everybody the same. We had 25 guys with one set of rules. Today, 
The manager's not important. That's It's a farce to manage in the major leagues today. Anybody can manage in the major leagues that's played the game. You look at these guys, they're not even making out the lineup. You've got somebody that's up in the office that's analytical, looking at all these records. And you know what? You've got to have a feel for the players that you're putting up in a position. You know, sometimes you leave a guy in the hit because he can hit against a certain pitcher, not because his record is good, you know, against certain things. This analytics is ruining baseball. And if you look at the averages, they're not helping the game. They're hurting the game, changing these rules. It's, uh, it's crazy what they're doing to baseball. Leave, game, leave the game of baseball to the purest that know the game, the fan that's been out there for 50 years that loves baseball. They don't want to see these seven-inning doubleheaders. They don't want to see a runner on second base in the 10th inning. They don't need all this stuff changing pitches all the time. Somebody coming in and say, you got to play these guys. I think the managers come into the ballpark today. They don't even think about the lineup. I think it's on their desk. Because somebody upstairs that went to college, you know, with a high IQ is figuring all the stuff out with, you know, the defense and this and that. Meanwhile, they can't hit. They're uppercutting. They're swinging up, trying to hit home runs. That's why they're striking out 250 times a year. That's a disgrace. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Getting, getting back to Gil Hodges, though, I read a couple of biographies on him, and he actually started out as a catcher. And then Correct. some some guy came along, I don't know, Roy Campanella or somebody. Right. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. And, and and Gil moved to first base. But my, my point is he's a, a, a team player, and, and, and it's one of the intangibles that's so great about Gil Hodges. Well, that's the, that's the good thing. You've got to change positions. He was pretty smart. He knew he couldn't beat out Roy Campanella behind the plate, so he might as well go to first base and, and earn a position. Just like myself, he asked me to play left field. I wasn't the best defensive outfielder, and I knew that. But by the seventh inning, Gil was looking to get me out for defense, but I knew I could get three or four at-bats, and that's all I was looking for. I wanted to hit. That's the key to the game. Baseball is fun when you can hit, not when you can play defense. I never loved playing defense. You play it because it's part of the game and it's an important position. But give me the chance to get four at-bats, and I'll tell you what, I became a good pinch hitter because I always wanted to show the manager up. When he didn't start, <laughs> I wanted to come in and pinch hit and get a base hit and say, hey, look at this. I get one shot at this pitcher and I get a hit. You got guys getting four shots at him, can't hit hit their way out of a paper bag, you know? So I always tried to do something. And I led the league five years in a row, hitting over 400 as a pinch hitter. And I have the all-time record. I was 17 for 35 one year, mm -hmm. which isn't bad. You know, yeah. every time I went up there, I was looking for that fastball. And I got it early in the count. And I got a base hit before they woke up on the mound. Yep. I remember yeah. that well. I, I love hearing you talk about your stats because you always, you know, Players know their stats. They know what they did on a on a day. They know what they did against that pitcher. It's it's just I love hearing players talk about their stats and 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 at bats. And it's it's amazing how you can keep that. But Ed, you keep it in your head. You know, you yeah. keep it in your head. You don't need anybody to print stuff up. You know how a pitcher gets you out. We right. did analytics years ago in our own head, kept track <laughs> of the pitchers. And if you didn't keep track of how they got you out. You were in the minor leagues because you had a hit. You couldn't strike out 250 times and stay in the league. They found somebody to replace you. Ed, from what everything I've seen, you had a relationship with Joan Payson. What what kind of relationship did you ever see that uh, Joan had with with Gil? 
Well, she loved Gil and she loved Willie Mays. She loved myself. I mean, she she saw me as a young player coming up, being force-fed to the major leagues. It didn't help my career. Obviously, when they bring you up at 17 to face Sandy Koufax and the great ones, you know, you're not going to be a star. One player is not going to lead the Mets to the pennant. But I struggled and I did develop and I, I turned into a pretty good player for her. I lasted 18 years, mm-hmm. so it was a good investment. But she was a sweetheart as an owner. She stayed there as a fan. She encouraged every player. And you know what? We all loved her. And I was the only player invited, I hate to say it, but to a funeral. I mean, I was an usher at the funeral. That the family thought that much of me that I, I went there and, and uh, we participated. And we lost a beautiful owner in Mrs. Joan Payson. And Mr. Grant was a good man. Even though he got a lot of bad publicity, I respected him as a, an owner. Because if he shook his hand, you could go to the bank. You didn't need a contract with Donald Grant. These people here, the Payson family and Donald Grant, that whole group, treated people with respect as a person in a business atmosphere. Earlier, you mentioned that Gil started out as manager as the for the Washington Senators, and they were a pretty bad team, and they progressively got better under Gil. Mets make a trade for a manager, which is rare. Gil comes to the Mets, and obviously you know what happened. It just, it just goes to his, his leadership skills and just talk about how, how great a manager he was. I know you've done it early, you know, earlier in the, in the uh, interview, but I, I'm just fascinated with, with Gil Hodges. Well, when Gil joined the ball club, you know, he had a sit down with everybody, you know, he, he, he had a meeting and he said, look, you guys weren't bad players last year. You lost a lot of close games. You got to learn how to win. And he went around position by position and taught us the fundamentals and he had one set of rules, like I said earlier. And you either played his way or you hit the highway. He wanted you to play good defensive baseball, mentally be prepared for the game. He didn't care about physical errors. If you tried for a ball and you made an error, he never ridiculed you. He didn't embarrass you. He knew you were trying. But you had to throw to the right base. You had to run the bases. You watch baseball today, and guys don't know how to run the bases. They get picked off in the worst situations. The Mets are losing games defensively, offensively. When they get on, they get picked off. They're not playing sound baseball. You're not going to win like that. There's no way. You've got to have a smart team on the field. The team that makes the fewest mental mistakes is the team that's going to win. And, of course, with his pitching, he had him well-rested. Everybody knew his role on the Gil Hodges. There were no surprises when he was going to platoon. You knew he was going to platoon. You got your rest the night before. You prepared yourself for the game. And he set the rules early on in the spring. This is the way it went. And it went that way for every player. He didn't care if you were hitting 350 or you were hitting 150. You had a role on his ball club. And if you looked at our team in 69, there's no I in team. He had everyone contribute because everybody was ready to perform. They knew their role. And, of course, we all accepted it. We didn't like it. You know, when you get 300 at-bats, your stats are only going to be X. When you get 600 at-bats, they're going to be twice as good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be playing. So everyone was affected. So you might have hit 12 home runs or 14 home runs, and you say, oh, that wasn't too good. But the other guy was hitting 15 home runs, so a position would have 25 home runs. We had all-stars when you combined our roster and our players you had Clendenin and myself at first base. Between us, we had four home runs in the All Star in the World Series. I mean, that's a pretty good job at first yeah. base. He hit three, I hit one. I only had one game, 
and I hit a home run. The playoffs, we all, the lefties did well. The righties didn't play in 73. And, and, you know, it was crazy, but he made us believe in ourselves and we produced. And you know what? We would have continued. Our careers would have suffered, but we would have won a couple more championships. Very, very, obviously very smart manager. I think only Grody, Harrelson, Cleon Jones and Tommy Agee were everyday players. Everybody else pl- platooned. That's right. correct. Everybody right. else he platooned, and and he he maneuvered around with the outfielder that we used other guys. If you look at Gaspar, helped out. You know he moved him in once in a while to center field to give Agee a rest. He rested everybody. You knew what was going on with him, and we had twenty five guys that was still strong in October for the World Series. We had the Chicago Cubs and Leo DeRocher. By the time mid-August came around, they were bow-legged. They played too much, never rested a guy. When they finally put a reserve in in August, he hadn't batted in four months. He couldn't produce. And I'll tell you what, we, we, we were behind by 10 games. We wound up beating them by 10 games. They just totally collapsed. And they had the best eight men in baseball back in those days. They should have won the pennant, but he didn't utilize all his men. Right. I mean, he uh, tired him out. I mean, you have Ernie, Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, Billy Williams. I mean, huh. <laughs> tired him out. Yeah, you yeah, certainly <laughs> did. Yeah, Kessinger was a good shortstop. Beckett was a great second baseman. They had some good play. Randy Henley caught 161 games, 162 games that year. Wow. Nope does that i mean today guys can't play two weeks no <laughs> and ed when you when you are being carted down the canyon of heroes nobody was thinking about how many at bats you had that had to be just but we had ron swoboda on and of course they asked him the same thing what's the the emotion the feeling how it even looks when you're when you're riding down the canyon of heroes I'll tell you what, it was tremendous. It was a feeling that you'll never forget. And people won't let you in New York. New York has the greatest fans in the world. They know the records. Take your records with you. That's something Casey said with us at the All-Star break all the time. He'd give you three days off. But he said, guys, take your records. He was another guy that, you know, he, they thought he was a comedian. But you know what? When you analyze what he said, he was very articulate. and You knew exactly what he was talking about. And you know what? That's the way to go. And the canyon was the greatest feeling. When we won the first time, there was nothing could ever replace it. And when I walked down the streets of Manhattan, people still recognize me, which is unreal. People still want to talk about 69. I don't think anyone will forget 69, what it did for the country, what it did for baseball. It was a great situation, and I was certainly proud to be part of it. And I can still celebrate it now. After all these years, 50-some-odd years later, people still want to talk about 69. Uh, yeah, I, I'll never forget. I was seven years old. Uh, and I remember one play, I guess, the, the uh, shoe polish uh, incident. H- how smart was Gil Hodges in that situation? <laughs> well, you know, it, he was smart because when he reached into that bag of balls, if, if you understand baseball, what they do is they throw all these balls out. They all go in the same bag. He grabbed in, and there were probably 50 or 60 balls in there that were dirty. So who knows which <laughs> ball he grabbed out of there. But he reacted very quickly, and the umpire saw a spot on the ball and said, go to first base. Cleon didn't want to go to first base. Clendenin wanted him to go to first base. It was a tying run at the plate, and he winds up hitting a home run. 
But, uh, you know, that was a smart move. It happened very quickly. Nobody knew whether that was the ball hit Cleon. I mean, that was a very, very smart play. Gil passed away uh, just before the day of the 72 season. What I mean, it was a shock, not not to just not just baseball, but to all uh, all New York. I mean, it's I mean, where were you and how did you find out? And what were your emotions that day? Well, we were in spring training, I believe, it's in uh, West Palm Beach, and he went out to play golf with the coaches, which he normally did. And of course, you know, we were all out, uh, out and about, and doing something, whether it be shopping or walking around town or whatever. We had a day off. We came back. We heard the news that um, you know he fell down and under the uh, overhang, and and uh, he passed out. You know, and, and it was dead before he hit the ground. I mean, it was unbelievable. He was a young guy and. You know what? We missed our leader. And I'll tell you, Yogi took over. He was a great guy, but fundamentally, he was not as sound as Gil. And that's part of the reason we lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, we, we thank you for your time. We're really praying that Gil gets into Hall of Fame. I know his wife is, is still around and it'd be wonderful if she can be up there at Cooperstown when Gil is, is inducted. Crossing our fingers and it should happen. I mean, it's, he really is well, a Hall of Famer. We all hope. And the uh, I certainly appreciate being on this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ed. We appreciate it too, Ed. And as fans, you, as big Met fans, which everyone who listens to this show knows we are, we just want to say how much we enjoyed your career as a Met and just everything that you did for the Mets. Okay. Thank you you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. You too, Ed. And we want to thank Ed Cranepool for coming on the show and talking about his time with Gil Hodges. Hopefully the, the people that are voting will listen to this. You would you wouldn't think they'd need to, but they will listen to this. Just hearing Ed Cranepool talk about him. Yeah. Is strong enough to push him over the edge. But wait until you hear what Kevin Kernan has to say about Gil Hodges. Kevin Kernan is a New York sport writer legend. 45 years and counting. A prominent columnist for the New York Post, who now writes for the website Ball Nine. His columns are fantastic and always insightful. He's also known as America's most beloved sports writer. Follow Kevin on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan. Recently inducted into the New York Baseball's Hall of Fame, Kevin is here to talk about Gil Hodges and his chances of making the Baseball Hall of Fame. Welcome, Kevin Kernan. Welcome, Kevin. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Over my shoulder, you see the uh, nice plaque in the jersey from the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. Troy, New York, inducted, uh, quite an honor. And also, you know, Gil Hodges was also inducted into that Hall of Fame. So very worthy. Had a chance to see uh, some of his family members came over to me because I've been pushing for Gil for many years to get in the Hall of Fame, to joke that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And baseball has become a clown show in so many ways, but not to uh, have a guy like Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame is really a travesty. And I have to laugh because, you know, they'll throw all these stats at you guys. And again, I'm old enough. uh, You know, I'm 68 years old, so I've been around a long time. They'll throw these stats at you. And of course, the big one is war. But Gil Hodges actually went to war, you know, and and fought in Okinawa, Tianan, and really had really had some unbelievable battles. And what he did, you know, his numbers, I think when he retired, he had like 370 home runs, which was 11th best in the majors at that point. And, and you got to really look at 
the fact too, and we can get into this a little later, but I also talked to recently Vince Scully and Carl Erskine about it, and they both said, without a doubt, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Totally, totally agree. And I, you know, I, I have I did not watch him as a player. I was I was seven years old when the Mets won the World Series as him mm-hmm. as manager. But I've read all about Gil Hodges, and absolutely, my father talks about him all the time. Great, great player, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers and that on that, that team. He started out as a catcher and moved because of some guy named Roy Campanella, and he became a <laughs> a Gold Glove first baseman. In fact, he won the first three Gold Gloves, and he would have been more had the award been around. Exactly. He, uh, you know, he, and, and he, he also, you know, he had these big hands because, you know, again, I've been around a long time. So I've met him way back when, you know, it's, and seen him and saw him on the field and saw him with the Mets. And uh, he basically had a catcher's mitt for a hand. I mean, uh, and he was a strong personality. What he did for Cleon Jones and other players, Cleon, a few uh, springs ago, talked to me about it. 69 Mets. So not only, I mean, what more could you ask? I mean, he was a great player, great leader, won a World Series, 55 World Series. He knocked in the three runs in Game 7. And then he also, uh, you know, led the Mets to an unbelievable managerial job with the Mets. So, you know, you see guys like Joe Torre and those guys in the Hall of Fame, Tony Lagusa, uh, a lot of that's for their managerial ability. But Gil, Gil deserves on two levels, you know, as a player, as a uh, as a manager, but also as a leader, I think that's overlooked these days. Could you imagine some of the some of the some of the uh, hijinks we're seeing with baseball now? If Gil was the manager, what would happen? I mean, I was watching a match the other night. Javi Baez is on second base. There's no outs. A, a, a line drive is hit the center field. He didn't even take the time to look where the defenders were. He he never looked at the ball. Just took all. He couldn't have possibly forgot the outs because there were no outs. So he couldn't have possibly thought there were two outs. If he does, man, that's really on him. But Gil Hodges would have pulled him out of that game. These managers today accept all this garbage. And there's no other word for it, garbage. And um, he was a prideful man. And like Carl Erskine told me, don't forget this too, Jackie Robinson. That, that, that was a huge part of baseball history. And Gil was there right over there at first base when there were plays at second base, when there was some knockdowns and things like that back then when you could slide hard into a, a fielder, Gil was always the peacemaker. So that's part of the equation as well. And Vince Scully told me a story once that I think it was at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, pop fly, but they both went for it, Gil and Jackie. Somebody threw a whiskey bottle that just missed both of them. And Gil, at that time, basically put his arm around Jackie and said, we know we're kind of in this together. So what more could you ask? War hero, great player, home run hitter, great defender, great manager. And I think he missed one time, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, by the Veterans Committee. One time he missed by one vote. Mm -hmm. He's been in a bunch of veteran committees. And I don't know what it is. It's got to be, you know, it's like anything else. It's like high school. You know, there's got to be some jealousies there why certain guys didn't vote for him. I think the last time he was up for the vet- Veterans Committee, he got an absurdly low number of uh, votes. And that tells me that the Veterans Committee guys did not do their homework. Hopefully they do their homework this time around and get killed in the Hall of Fame. Totally agree. Kevin, before I get serious with the question, I have to tell you that you and I have something in common. Wow. You wrote right. for the New York Post. And as a kid, I delivered the New York Post. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> That's okay. there's. We both got 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned Joe Torrey. And actually, a lot of what you hear, heard about Joe Torrey was, as a player, he was borderline. You know, right. he was very good. And then his right, and then his managerial prowess and the 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 championships won put him in. Well, we spoke to Ed Cranepool, asking him also about Gil Hodges, and he said if Gil Hodges had you know unfortunately had his you know died so young and tragically before the seventy three season, that he would have won that World Series. You would have had someone. Kind of similar to Joe Torre. Player probably should be in as a player, but if people want to argue it, okay. But then he'd have the same, he'd have multiple championships. I, I think as a player, he should be in. The other thing that, that I want to say is that I have said this all the time. Baseball does not put the same emphasis, at least with the Hall of Fame, on defense as they do on offense. They do it with certain players, you know, an Ozzie Smith, a Brooks Robinson, maybe, but they don't. So I know you've been vocal about baseball and your feelings about it. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, all, all valid points, uh, tremendous points. And the, uh, the 1973, I talked to Ed, too, about that and also about just 69, what he meant, and, and all the guys in 69. So Boda, to get that team to, to where it was, and, and also don't forget with 69, he realized his baseball knowledge being around so long, his baseball knowledge told him that the Cubs were going to run out of gas because their manager actually played all their starters all the time. Gil was an innovator too. So let's, let's talk about that as well. You know, he was platooning guys. He, he knew how to use a pitching staff, his pitching staff. And Jerry Kuzman mentioned this the other day at the New York state the baseball hall of fame dinner, because Jerry got inducted as well. You know, that pitching staff, Lasted the whole year in '69. He knew how to how to get those guys the most out of the guys, keep them healthy. You know, went to a, a, a five man rotation and things like that. And, and so all of that in '73. That's such a good point because you know he would have he would have figured out a way. And just like he, in '55 with with the Dodgers. And I think all those years with the Dodgers just gave him that perseverance. And also, my dad was a World War II veteran guy, Navy guy. And I'm sure when those guys came back from the war, just living life must have been so incredible for them. And, and, and this younger generation and the voters, and again, I, I, I question the Veterans Committee. They don't do their homework the way they should. They should realize how much people pulled for Gil Hodges. And that has to count for something. I mean, you had the whole borough of Brooklyn praying for him when he was having his struggles in the World Series and things like that. So it's almost like, you couldn't make this up that this guy's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I mean it's, 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 and I've had some Marine people. I did a story, maybe, I wish I could find it. It was a really good story. Might have been 15, 20 years ago about him should be in the Hall of Fame. And some Marine guy called me out of blue and he did his homework. And that's, you know, that's where all these numbers started. It was other people, not me, digging this stuff up. So what, what a, what a, um, what a plus it would be for the for the Marines as well, because when we're talking about combat, I mean, this was like in, in some cases hand to hand combat, you know. And uh, so. So, again, I just love everything about Gil Hodges. I, Irene Hodges is still hanging in there. The family, uh, uh, the daughter came up to me and talked to me the other day. It was very nice. And just she just wanted to thank me for me supporting him. 
But I don't even look at it as anything I'm doing. I mean, I just want these people to do their homework. You have to have an advocate. It's kind of like, and, and you got to look at 10 year periods. To me, that's a difference, you know? And if you get to, if you got to go to war and that takes you away from baseball, like much like with Ted Williams, they talk about, that's got to be put into the, uh, in, into the mix as well. You know, I look at Gill much like I look at Thurman Munson. Thurman Munson had a great 10 year period. His numbers matched up better during that 10-year period than Bench and Fisk uh, in many ways. And then he died tragically in a plane crash. Uh, you know, so he didn't, couldn't go on an extra couple of years to pad the stats. Well, Gill's stats, certainly, uh, he, he would have picked up some more home runs. It would have been well over 400. Uh, so, so to me, Gil Hodges is the number one guy that should be in the Hall of Fame that's not in the Hall of Fame. And if I had to pick a modern-day player, just because, you know, like I said, I've been around so long, I would say a modern-day player I'd like to see get in the Hall of Fame because of how he approached the game, and I covered him in San Diego, was Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff, and I know Mm. Fred Fred in the steroid order, there was no way Fred was taking steroids. Great guy, so he should be in there. So, yeah, I love the Hall of Fame. Go there all the time. Josh Rowitz is the new, you know, the new president. I just did a piece for him about him on uh, Aaron Rodgers' website, because uh, I write for Ball9.com, and also Aaron Rodgers, the football player, has a website, uh, a really neat website about, about you know, really getting to know the players a little bit more and things like that, and it's online sports database, OSDB. So I did a piece with Josh, and I think Josh has some great ideas, and I think there's some great people in the Hall of Fame, and I would love to see on this Veterans Committee get an, an advocate for Gil who just, if he would just, everything that we just talked about, if, if, if that argument was made in the Veterans Committee, baseball players know. All the people on those committees are smart people. They know what this guy did. They would know what this guy did and the, and the accolades he deserves and he should be in the heart. To me, it's a question of not getting the information out there by the, by, uh, the people on those veteran committees. Totally agree. I'm looking at baseball reference page for Gil Hodges right now, and that's just numbers on a screen or, or a page. There's right. so much more to Gil Hodges. It's the intangibles he brought into the game. You're talking about Jackie Robinson. Not only was he a manager of the Mets, he took a Washington Senator team and made him much better. I mean, yes, how much did. better? I mean, how much more does this guy need to get into the Hall of Fame? This guy was fantastic. I think he I think he replaced Ted Williams, didn't he? He did. If, if I I'm only hoping and and again, if you look over my shoulder, there's a picture of Ted Williams and Tony Gwynn. And I love uh, Ted. He was you know, I dealt with him out a lot in San Diego uh, with Tony Gwynn. I'm only hoping that some of these things aren't because I but I would think Ted would have to be an advocate for Gil simply because of veterans being uh, in, in both, you know, veterans uh and, and things like that. So Again, it's, it's up to, uh, you know, it's really hard to believe. I'm glad you guys are doing this because the word needs to get out there. And these, I know I know the world basically started when all the nerd writers and nerd GMs started to get in the game. But take a look back, nerds, and, and, and look at what this guy accomplished. And also, I, we didn't get to the numbers, and I don't have them right in front of me, but, you know, he, I think he, at one point he got 64% of the vote. You need yeah. 75% of the writers. Yeah. So the writers almost pushed him in, you know, and um, I remember Reggie telling me once, uh, but this is Reggie too, and and Reggie telling me once that Reggie Jackson, that if the writers didn't vote for him, 
then then that tells me, and I'm not going to vote for them. I remember he made that blanket statement once, and uh, we got in a little discussion about it. And, and everybody has their own thoughts, but I think the writers back then were dealing with a whole bunch of different type of numbers. I don't know how much they took into account the fact that he he went off to war, and and I don't know how much they took into account his managerial ability because later on. You know, with all the managers in there, and not, and all those guys deserve it. Don't you know? I have no problem with Tony Luisa. I have no problem with Joe Torre, and, and certainly Bobby Cox, known Bobby forever, great manager. It was great to see managers, but to me, Gil Hodges was the epitome of a manager. He did not take any gruff. He cre- he creatively uh, made his players better, the best that they could be, and he was dealing with some tough. Tough individuals back then. That 69 Mets team has some unique personalities. So on every level, Gil Hodges is a Hall of Famer. Now, also, I mentioned defense. And probably on the field, the of course, on the field, but the position that doesn't get as much accolades for, for defense is first base because, you know, we have, we've had some great defensive first basemen like Keith Hernandez and Don Mattingly and we are talking now to someone who knows the position quite well, because for, for those of you who do not know, Kevin Kernan was a first baseman in 1976 and 1977 for Ramapo College. Not only was he a first baseman, but for a time, you set the mark for the highest batting average in team history. So you know what it takes to play first base. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a great point, and and about not be, not a great point about me. I, I appreciate the kind words, but about first baseman, how it's overlooked. You talk to anybody, you know, through the years, and I talk to all these guys. Uh, you know, I, I was just I, over the weekend again. Tino Martinez, first base, it's so important because you, when you have a first baseman that the fielders trust, they make better plays. They make you become more creative. They'll. They'll throw the ball over there and you can dig it out and do all that stuff. It, it's totally understood. People think anybody can play first base. Cracks me up, you know. And that's one of the big problems we have in the game today. The nerds think anybody can play anywhere. And one way or another, it eventually affects the player. And I'm giving you a little small example here. To me, I think Dom Smith is a tremendous first baseman. Tremendous first baseman. I would be playing Dom Smith at first base if I were the Mets much more than he is playing. Now, I know it's tough on Alonzo. I would figure out a way. Maybe you can hide Alonzo in the outfield a little bit here and there. Uh, We've seen Stanton play the outfield. But I think by Dom Smith having to go to the outfield all the time, it's really affected his hitting. So a first baseman is, to me, the captain of the infield. He always says the shortstop, but it's really the first baseman. And, and he's the guy who um, he's always, and especially nowadays, chatting with the runners, doing this, doing that. He's the heartbeat of, of the defense. And 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 great point on Keith Hernandez. Great point on Don Manley, what they did at first base. You have a good first baseman. That's how the Brooklyn Dodgers made it to so many World Series because they're their defense through the years, and you could count on these guys. So that's a, another huge check in the box, you know, great first baseman. And he should be rewarded for it. So, it, it, again, it boggles my mind sometimes with baseball. What are these people looking at? Exactly. The Veterans Committee is the one who's going to vote on Gil Hodges. How is that committee formed? I mean, who picks 
the veterans committee is it the president of, of the hall of fame is there a committee that that forms this veterans committee obviously we don't know who is beforehand but could you tell us anything yeah, about the process it, yeah it's usually announced it's like three or four writers usually veteran writers maybe some and it's it's a hall of famers it could be administrators gms it could be former players so it all depends on who like harold baines for example got in when Harold Baines got in by the Veterans Committee, what does that tell me? That tells me that the Veterans Committee, and, and I'd I, I have to look it up. I don't want to be wrong because I don't want people screaming at me if I'm wrong on something. But that tells me that Tony LaRusso was on that committee. He had a couple, you know, it's like anything else. You know, if you got some, if you got some godfathers on the committee, you might get in. Yeah, it's not that he's not deserving. It's just that you had people arguing his argument well. And that's one of the things Gil is up against now because he played so long ago. And this is the golden era committee, it's called. And I think it goes from 50 to 69. So that's perfect for Gil. I mean, you couldn't ask for another thing because it ends at 69 when the Mets won the World Series. I'm hoping that somebody, uh, for example, I don't think he's on the committee. But if a guy like Piazza got on the committee, you know, he, he, he could carry the torch for Gil a little bit. It could, uh, Dodger people could carry it. So. But again, baseball is such a small community that all they have to do is really open their eyes and look at the numbers and then maybe make a couple phone calls and and, and get Carl Erskine. I, I think, with, and again, you guys may know this better than me. There was one time when he was like one vote short by the Veterans Committee, and I think Campanella was on the committee, but he was in the hospital or something, so he couldn't vote. So they, mm. they didn't they didn't let him go from the hospital. Mm. It's kind of crazy. So nobody's had worse luck than Gil Hodges in like in the voting process. Right. So uh, yeah. it, it's been many years, and and God bless the family. And I think the the ultimate ending of the story here is that when he does get in, because at some point he's got to get in. He's got to. It's going to be that much sweeter and that much greater, and having the chance. I mean, just it was just a few months, you know, it was Carl Erskine I spoke to a few months ago, but Vin Scully I talked to last year at length. And and Vin was just, uh, Vin would be a great guy to to do the argument for for, for, sure. for Gil. That, that's, that, if I could get, you know, if I could say one thing, that would be great. Just bring Vin Scully into the meeting. Let him <laughs> talk for 10 minutes. Bring him on this you know, podcast, yeah, Kevin. You know, if you can bring Kevin, get him on a Zoom call. Yes, and, and uh, do your homework. Get him on a Zoom call, and 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 by the end of the call, you guys would be looking at each other like, "Wow, we really screwed up. This guy should have been in twenty years ago, thirty years ago." So uh, that would be my suggestion to the Hall of Fame yeah. committee: get Ben Scully on a Zoom call. Absolutely. Here's a couple more numbers: eight-time All Star. Voted, yep. had an MVP vote nine years. I mean, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. And a much smaller league back, yeah. back then, too, don't mm-hmm. exactly. so you? Exactly. Yep. You really understand. And, and I think uh, another great number, again, I'm not a numbers guy, but a great number is I think when he retired, he had the third most home runs of a right-handed hitter. Yeah, you know, he was up uh, there. Yeah, he was right up there. So, and again, let's be fair. I mean, he... he 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 uh, he hit in a ballpark that was good for him, you know. Ebbets Field the dimensions were good for him, but but it's uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's almost 
you know, I love it. Like I said earlier, I love the Hall of Fame. I love to see them correct some mistakes they've made because there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be mistakes. And actually, quite honestly, fellas, you know, I still have a Hall of Fame vote. I'm debating this year. It's really a tough decision because of what's going on with baseball with, like, say, for example, the Field of Dreams game. The Field of Dreams game was a great moneymaker, you know, great, great advocate for baseball. But what did they sell it on? They sold it on the back of basically, you know, the Black Sox, you know, and and, and everything. So, and the betting is everywhere now in baseball. And Pete mm-hmm. Rose is in, Shoeless Joe is not in. And I've talked to the, the president of the Shoeless Joe Museum, and he made some great points. Like, well, Joe was banned for his lifetime. His lifetime ended in 51. So he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, we, you know? we, we, we talked to him also, and he made that same point. Yeah, yeah. It, it was great. It's a great point. So getting back to the modern day, because I've been pretty adamant about this. I've been pretty adamant because I know, and going back to what you said about college, I mean, and also I have three kids all played college baseball or softball. They're all good athletes, uh, good hitters. And my daughter actually holds her college home run record. And um, so I saw the steroid on the major league level. I saw what it did to the game, and I also saw it on the amateur level. I saw, I saw maybe high school players who weren't that good who suddenly came back the next year and they were twice as big and everything, and, wow. and crushing the ball. And how did that happen? You know, they gained thirty-five pounds in like two months. So I've seen it on a different level. So I've been, I've, I've been, I haven't voted for steroid guys. The, you know, the guys we know for sure, steroid guys. But I'm thinking of changing my whole vote pattern this year, and I'll create quite a. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I, I'm going to make a lot of friends with that. But I'm thinking of voting for nothing but steroid guys this year. In, in this, this <laughs> <time around>. <laughs> <laughs> the whole steroid ballot. Just get it yeah. all out there. They'll have a wing in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is your whole. I'm I'm off the wall. I'm like. Uh, I'm like Jack Nicholson in that movie. I'm off the wall. I'm not defending that anymore. You did it. Bud's in the Hall of Fame. The managers who manage these guys are in the Hall of Fame. So I'm I'm thinking of putting Bonds, Clemens, the whole group, who's ever out there, you know, Manny, yeah. uh, anybody on that list. Uh, there, there's I, one guy. There's one guy who's not going to be on the ballot, but he has 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Rafael Pomero. Exactly. Great point. And if you ever get a chance, as a it was a it was a thirty for thirty, I think, really good job that they did on on Palmaro and Will Clark and their relationship because they were both uh, they pl- they played together in in college and and how they separated as friends and the the whole thing with the you know because Will Clark was very adamant about the steroid stuff too. It was a really good piece, but again, I'm. You know what? All bets are off now. Since all bets are literally on in Major League <laughs> Baseball, when it comes to my vote now, all bets are off and the hell with everything. Now, you mentioned the uh, the Field of Dreams game. And one thing that really bothered me about that, when they came on with the you know replica uniforms, what, they, they yes. couldn't leave the, sw- the swoosh off this one time. They couldn't leave the New Era logo off, off the hat this one time. <laughs> Come on. I mean, they want to make everything yeah. look authentic. Really? It's the world we live in now, and um, wait till the casinos come to every ballpark, fellas, because that's gonna that's coming. I'm telling you right now, that's the in my mind from what I'm hearing, that's the plan. Every ballpark is gonna kind of be like a mini casino mm. uh, or a big casino, depending on the situation. And thank all I can say is thank God. They, I, I was not an advocate for the netting either. This will 
this will piss off people too, but I like watching a game without the netting. I mean, directly behind home plate, obviously, maybe off on the wings, obviously. But down the line, you know, I whenever I took my kids to a game, you know, we sat in a certain order. Okay, watch the game. Pay attention. The line drive comes. Let's uh, defend ourselves. And and uh, and obviously there were some terrible situations that happened because people just, you know, they're walking around a ballpark with kids thinking that nothing can happen. So so my point is now with everybody with baseball wanting everything to be a bet, everybody will be looking at their phones to make a new bet in the seventh inning. And thank God there's netting to save people's lives because uh, it's, it's it's really, you know, under Manfred now, it's really a crazy sport. It is. We actually had someone on who was, uh, what was his name, Jeff? Jordan Cooper. Jordan Scott, who's a big advocate right. for the netting. Right. He he He's a foul ball safety. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm willing to, 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 to make adjustments, and, and I get it, and I right, think it is right. good. Matter of fact, I'll drop a little knowledge on you fellows. I'm, it's one of the stories I want to do when I get a chance. Because with Ball Nine, I do some interesting, great stuff. I just did a piece. People can go to ballnine.com to find this. It's right there. But I went to the um, Norman Rockwell Museum up in the Berkshires. I, I, you know, I was up in for the, for the induction, and I took a little side trip to the Berkshires. And I went to the Norman Rockwell Museum. And there's a docent at the museum who I knew is also a longtime usher, baseball crazy guy great guy and uh and basically he gave me some incredible history on rockwell and baseball so and and again they always call him mr rockwell they never call him rockwell so mr rockwell's game and i wrote a column about that so anybody who who loves the history of baseball will love reading this so i'll do some different things and there's a not too far from where I live, about an hour away, there's an island where a bunch of shrimpers are. And, you know, you catch shrimps with netting. A number of years ago, the shrimping um, slowed down. So they started, they, they thought about it, and they created netting for ballparks from the shrimping. So it was the same company that did the shrimp netting and did the ballpark netting. And it's, uh, it's, it's really amazing how far that's come and, and, and don't forget when we talk about the major leagues, but we're talking about every ballpark, yeah, you know. Sure. And um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, it has been a good thing, and a lot of uh, a lot of people have been saved from uh, getting whacked with a ball. Because I, I, it's been quite. A, I, I, I still remember one from the uh, from being at the Brewers uh, game, uh, at Miller Park, a few years ago, a playoff game, and I watched the game. I'm not one of these writers who's always on his phone tweeting. I do tweet a lot, but I can multitask. And I watched the game, and thank God I was watching because a, a, a foul ball came back that was a rocket. Put a hole in the wall this big, you know, and uh, luckily I just uh, avoided it. So, uh, And that was way up in the press box. So it's, it, it can be a dangerous game. Kevin, your first interview, I, I, I know we brought you on to talk about Gil Hodges, but it's, it's rare that we get someone of your caliber on the show. I mean, we get great guests. I'm going to be wrong, but to get someone of your caliber. And I just, I, so I've got to ask you, your first interview I saw was with Thurman Munson. Your first baseball interview was with Thurman Munson. <laughs> yes. 1977. One of my first. Um, 1977, I got out of college. During college, I was an athlete. So I was friends with all hockey players. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I started writing a column called Kernan's Corner for the college paper. Very successful column. I always joke it was my best writing because it was uh, unfiltered back then, totally. 
And the next semester, evidently the editor of the college paper didn't like sports, so he he, he got rid of the column. Got a, the position was eliminated. I ran for editor the next semester, won, and I took care and, and made sure that the column came back and sports came back. But my assistant editor uh, was the his father was a a custodian at the Hudson Dispatch, a little paper in New Jersey. So he got me in for an interview. He was my connection. He got me interviewed before. I, so before I left college, I got hired as the assistant sports editor of the Hudson Dispatch. And so I, I'm one of these lucky writers who never had to cover one day of prep sports. No high schools, no nothing. Those Because those guys worked their tail off that cover prep sports. I went right to the I, – I, actually, I, I was doing a lot of Giants football. So I went right to the Giants, covering the Giants home and the road. But I also had a chance to do some baseball here and there. And I had a baseball writer's card out of the box because assistant sports editors get a baseball writer's card. So anyway, long story short, I was a big Munson fan. I cut, I followed his career from the sporting news because that's what we did back then. We didn't have any other way to follow. We followed him in the sporting news when he was in the minors. Knew he was going to be a great player. Went up to him. Uh, so one of the first times I went over to Yankee Stadium, I wanted to do a story with Munson. Went up to him. And uh, Goose Gossage, uh, the Yankee Stadium clubhouse was huge. Munson looks at me. And back then I had red hair and uh, kind of an afro and a lot of red hair. And uh, he goes, he yells out, hey, Goose, Goose. Now the whole clubhouse is looking at me. And this is what young writers had to go through back then. And so I'm looking, I'm standing there, just standing there. And he goes, and Munson being Munson, he would test you. He said, look at this bleeping redheaded leprechaun. What and ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of like I have my reaction. I kind of laugh because I, you know, again, I'm, I played, I'm, I'm suddenly don't even want to say I was on anywhere near these guys level, but I understood the game. I understood hitting. I spent 10 years in San Diego talking baseball, hitting every day with Tony Gwynn. So I think I got better as the years went on about hitting. So I just stood there and, and took it. And, and uh, I said, well, are we done now? And he goes, yeah, we're done now, kid. What do you need? And he was great. And the irony of that story, which kind of ties this all together, was when, you know, Goose was in the middle of the joking. And uh, many years later, I became a huge advocate, probably the biggest advocate, one of the biggest in the media for Goose and came up with some figures and numbers and those training saves and all that stuff. And I helped. I think I helped to push Goose into the Hall of Fame. So my first kind of Yankee day, I'm, I'm getting crap from these guys, but you, you go with it, you move forward, and it's part of the test, and, and you find out, and then you get accepted, you move on, and, and, you, and you have uh, – I was lucky enough to do it for, you know, and I'm still writing, 40-some, seven years, 40, you know, many, many years, you know. Yes. And, uh, I do, and and one of, the, one of the strengths of my job, is I be I'm not I'm not one of these guys that have a I have a lot of writer friends who remember every detail. I don't. You know, I move on. And the next story I do, I move on. It keeps me young and it keeps me fresh. So every day is, is kind of a new fresh uh, experience. But those those were some uh, that Yankee team in '77. You know, we know all about that team and uh, what Mutson meant to them. And another reason why you know Hall of Fame. Absolutely, Kevin. We thank you for your time. 
I'm a big advocate of your writing. I I read it all the time on Ball Nine. I'm the one who retweets it when you put it out there. Oh, yeah. fantastic! I'm the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just fantastic. Any uh, you mentioned you also write for Aaron Rodgers' website. What's that website again? Yeah, it's. Um, let me make sure I get it right. It's it's kind of like IMBD, you know, IMDb, the uh, the movie site. It's online sports database. So it's OSDB. And uh, I've done a, I did a nice piece on Al Leiter and his son, Jack. Very good piece. Uh, you know, I've done a, I did a Josh Rowitz piece. Uh, I've done a few in- interesting pieces. And, I, and if you follow me on Twitter, Facebook friend me, you know, I, I always promote whenever I write something. So, uh, but yeah, it's online sports database. And, and Ball 9, I got to say, Ball 9, too. We, we've come a long way in a short time. And a lot of the Ball 9 game guys came up to the induction, which was nice, came in from California. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a website that really, if you love baseball, you'll love Ball 9 because uh, we don't hold back, but we also have some fun, get some great gear. Uh, I know uh, there's a uh, we have some uh, a great cup with Louis Tian. I don't have that one right now. I got my AMBS cup. But all9.com, you will not be disappointed. A lot of great stuff in there for, for fans. Yeah, that's one of my bookmarks on my on my toolbar. So thank you for that. <laughs> nice to hear. Yeah. Thank you again, Kevin. This was fantastic. I appreciate Kevin, it. Kevin, we really much. appreciate it. Thank you very uh, much. Nice to talk to you guys, and, and good luck. Uh, thanks for pushing for Gil. Hopefully he gets in the Hall of Fame. Len, Kevin Kernan uh, provides a, a pretty strong argument, doesn't he? Yeah, thank you for Kevin to Kevin Kernan. Really appreciate it. And you know what, Jeff? I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> I well, wish wait. I had a vote. Wait, we still have a couple more guests. Mike LeColent and Sam Maxwell from the Metzian Podcast. And they're very Brooklyn-based. I love their perspective. So with yeah. that, here are the guys from the Metzian Podcast. We are happy to have with us one-third of the fellows from a Metzian Podcast. Michael LeColent. He's with us because he has his own unique perspective on Gil Hodges as a player, manager, and a Brooklynite. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Mike. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Glad to be here. My honor. Jeff, you know what? The other two didn't show up, so you could change your intro. He is <laughs> the most important. Of course. And that's it. So, so Mike, let, let me ask you right off the bat. I know you have a, a, a podcast called Bedford and Sullivan and all things Brooklyn. So could you tell us how much... Gil Hodges means to the borough of Brooklyn? Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to give credit where it's due. Bedford and Sullivan podcast belongs to Sam Maxwell. That's his production. I hijack it from time to time to talk Negro League baseball, but he also invites me on and has incorporated me into his research project. He's doing a period piece, and the Bedford and Sullivan podcast is part of that, just trying to gather information as widely and as best he can. So I'm appreciative to him for inviting me and incorporating me into that into that project of his. Insofar as Brooklyn, I'm a lifelong Brooklynite. And to grow up in Brooklyn, Gil Hodges, at least the name, if you weren't old enough to watch him play or manage the Mets, his name still resonated throughout the borough. I hung out as a teenager in Gil Hodges' lanes when it was still on Ralph Avenue before they moved to Two Mill Basin. As a teenager, they renamed the bridge going out to Reese Park after him, the Gil Hodges Memorial Bridge. 
And of course, they renamed a section of Bedford Avenue in honor of him. So, and, and of course, this Gil Hodges literally, and there's a literally park, which no longer functions under his name, but nonetheless was on Shell Road, uh, an extension of what Brooklynites know as McDonald Avenue. You couldn't help but know about Gil Hodges growing up in Brooklyn post playing and managerial career and, and sadly after his death. We wanted him to be in the Hall of Fame, but he really is in kind of his own Hall of Fame. I mean, Brooklyn, the city of Brooklyn it belongs to Gil Hodges. It, it really it really does. I mean, I didn't even I wasn't even aware of all of the things. That's why when I, I was like trying to take it in, I didn't I wasn't aware of all that the city of Brooklyn had for Gil Hodges. It's fantastic. And rightfully so, de- deservedly so. But Mike, he's not in the Hall of Fame by some quirks. I mean, he could have been. Apparently, there was a vote taken at one time and it was Roy Campanella. Roy Campanella was in the hospital and he missed by one vote. And because Roy Campanella, who was supposed to have a vote, they wouldn't accept his vote because he wasn't physically there. He should have been in a long time ago. The fact that he's not is a baseball travesty. You can blame the baseball writers for the length of time or the duration of time that he was on the ballot. Len, as you say, I place the onus on the Veterans Committee for not pushing him through. I think they're more responsible than the original writers. And it's ponderous to me that he is not. I I think too many people take his career out of context and it needs to be put back into context and hopefully this coming December that will all change but I'm almost to the point where I think there's a conspiracy to keep him out how do you keep a man like Gil Hodges person player out of the Hall of Fame and and you know Mike the other thing I I kind of like in Gil's career a little bit to that of Joe Torre. Joe Torre was a very good player, borderline Hall of Fame, and then great manager, you know, won a, a, all the championships we know of, and went in. Now, if Gil Hodges, unfortunately, uh, his untimely early death, he may have gone on to manage the Mets more years and maybe won another championship or two, who knows, but... But actually, his playing career was better. Gil Hodges, I know I said uh, Joe Torre, but Gil Hodges' career as a player really should have gotten him in. It it shouldn't be the Mets. It should not take the Mets winning the the 69 World Series to be part of the argument. Because his career as a player, when you look at his statistics and, and what he did on the field and what he meant to that team, he should be in just for that. Your thoughts? Well, you know, let's take a factual approach to this. And, and let's take what the Hall of Fame deems as its criteria. You know, voting shall be based upon players' record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the teams 
or team on which the player played. That's from the Hall of Fame. His playing ability was unquestioned. His integrity, sportsmanship, and character were all spoken of by his teammates and contemporaries and, and, and opponents throughout his career and post-career and into his managerial career. Those three criteria are unquestioned. And his contributions, seven national pennants with the Dodgers, one World Series, Brooklyn's only World Series, and drove in the only two runs in Game 7 against the Yankees. Talk about contributions. And then leading the Mets to the 1969 World Series. Talk about contributions. But I also have a certain criteria that I believe players need to meet. And I, I think one of them is you have to be an undeniable star, an elite player, either at your position or throughout baseball for at least a 10-year 10, 10 period of time. To me, that's my criteria. I break out in a rash every time a new player comes along, and after two or three good seasons, people start mixing that player's name in with Hall of Fame talk. That bothers me. I get perturbed to hear that. Now, Gil Hodges was a dominant player for a decade. That is the context in which he needs to be reviewed. Gentlemen, we know some of the obvious. He retired 11th on the all-time home run list. Doesn't that speak for itself? And he was the top home run hitter amongst right-handers. Doesn't that speak for itself? Now, here's the argument. Here, here is what the naysayers say, and perhaps today's analytics-inspired uh, anti-Gil Hodges people out there. Yes, he only has 370 career home runs, 1,200 and change RBI. You might look at that, you know, compared to the more elite players in the Hall of Fame and say, yeah, that's rather pedestrian. But here's the catch. In the 1950s, he was second in the National League in home runs. Yep. That's context. Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah. I'm sorry. If you want to extend that from 1948 through 1959, he led all Major League first basemen in home runs, runs batted in, extra base hits, and OPS. Again, that's a, a record that exceeds a decade, a decade of dominance in Major League Baseball. Right, and I like what you said there. You got to put it in the context, which mm -hmm. is absolutely right. Yep. And you, you mentioned his offensive stats, but his defensive stats was second to none. Yes, he only won three gold gloves. It just happens to be the first time for three years that the gold glove was given away. You know, So who knows how many more he could have had, but he was a dominant first baseman. And let's, let's not forget, he moved from being a catcher to become a first baseman. You're absolutely right. So that's why sometimes I'm, I'm inclined to think that the, uh, there's a conspiracy to keep him out because the numbers, the record, his career, his dominance that exceeds a 10-year period speaks for itself the other criteria that the hall of fame puts out like we said playing ability integrity sportsmanship 
character, his contributions. At this point, I'm speechless. I don't know what to think anymore about his absence from the Hall of Fame. One other thing I think should be in there is his intangibles. He came into the league in what I think it began 43. He went to the war for a couple of years, came back, started yeah, playing regularly 46. for the Dodgers right in the 46. And he was there when Jackie Robinson broke into the league. And he was a tremendous friend and colleague of, of Jackie Robinson and helped him be comfortable in the league, I, I guess, for lack of a better word. He, he really helped Jackie and his other teammates with the changing times. At his funeral, Jackie Robinson was in the back of the limousine crying like a baby because he lost such a dear friend. Gil Hodges was one of the first people to put out his hand in friendship to Jackie Robinson. That speaks of his character, doesn't it? It It speaks of his his integrity, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So what is stopping the forces that be getting him into the Hall of Fame? It's ponderous. Also, both of you are right. You must take these his career in the context when he played. That's why when you compare generations, you cannot, you can't compare somebody who played in the 90s, the 80s. Conditioning was different. You know, maybe the, the mound was different. The ball was different. The, you have to compare players in the generations and the eras when they played. He should and be it- in obviously for that again the naysayers will say well he doesn't have a career 500 slugging average and again this is where context comes into play because from 1949 through 1959 he averaged 507 a season a slugging average of 507 with 30 home runs and 101 rbis for those years from 49 through 59 that's hall of fame caliber so the career totals are somewhat misleading. But Len, as you say, you know, it, it's awfully hard to compare errors. It's all relative to the competition of the day. You know, you can't talk about Bob Feller facing Frank Thomas of the White Sox. You just can't do that. And you have players now who basically, you know, they're swinging for the fences constantly. They're hitting home runs. They're striking out a ton. And they'll hit, you know, they'll probably have maybe more than 370 home runs, maybe. But so what? They're not Hall of Famers, most of them. Mike, Gil Hodges came from Indiana and then moved to Brooklyn. Obviously, with the Dodgers, met his wife, Joan, Joan Lombardi, and kind of Brooklyn adopted him. And you, the way you told us with the, with the naming of the bridges and his businesses and the Little League, that's just... Just so much. Tell us about how much grain, how how much Brooklyn is in Gil Hodges. A lot. As you say, born in Indiana and, and we, you know, transplanted here to Brooklyn. And let me tell you something. This is a borough of over 2.7 million people. By itself, it still remains one of the largest cities in America. New York City as a whole, because we have so many people, This can be a very apathetic town. We have a lot of other things to deal with, sometimes more immediate items than what meets the eye. And in that light, the fact that he embraced this borough so, and the borough embraced him back, 
there was a mutual relationship there between most of the Dodgers of the eras, but there was one special one between Gil Hodges and the fan because he lived in Brooklyn. He took the train to Abbott Field. You know, as you say, he married and bought a house here and, and started a family here and put his children through Brooklyn schools. So I, I guess in one sense, scratch that. New Yorkers are not starstruck. We're just not. We can walk by movie stars or whomever on the streets and really not blink, blink an eye. You might get caught up if you're in the TMZ zone or whatnot. But for the most part, New Yorkers aren't starstruck. It takes a lot to impress the ordinary New Yorker because of everything that we have to deal with on a, a daily basis. He represented us. Quiet, hardworking, determined, devoted, family man, parent, father, husband. He represented all that. Everything that back then in that era of Brooklyn strived to be a hardworking person who brought home the bacon for his family and cooked it up and served it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we recently and, talked to his daughter, Irene, and she still lives in Brooklyn. Yes. And, I, you know, I've, I've had the, the great pleasure of fortune and honor of meeting Joan at, at Coney Allen at the Brooklyn Cyclones game. I met her once and, you know, I made it my business to introduce myself and just tell, tell her, you know, that it was truly an honor to meet her and that I think her husband is, is still a legend in Brooklyn. He is still a legend. His name is still, uh, his name still resonates here in the borough. And that, yeah, absolutely. And we are fortunate enough to have one of your partners and your Metsian podcast, Sam Maxwell, has just joined us. Sam, welcome to Baseball and BBQ. Thank you for joining us. We were just talking about Gil Hodges. And, you know, we talked about, uh, well, Mike told us that the Bedford and Sullivan podcast is, is your baby. And do you have a lot to do with that? So could you tell us your thoughts on Gil Hodges and what, what, what do you, why, why should he be in the Hall of Fame? Hey, guys, I uh, hope you can hear me all right, uh, first and foremost. Thank you for welcoming welcoming me to the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. It's such a, a great time to be here. Gil Hodges, you know, it's it's really hard, just not, not just from the Dodger perspective, but just the Brooklyn perspective. That's where we have to come in with Gil Hodges and, and how a man transcends not only the sport that he, he plays – but but the borough and that alone, on top of everything that I'm sure you guys have already said about the numbers when it comes to Gil Hodges and the fact that he retired. And I, I believe I mean, you guys, I'm sure said it, but somewhere in the top 10 of home runs, he was there when he retired. And for some weird reason, because of this weird way of voting that people have this weird thought process that some of these writers have had over the years and this that and the other reason other than just the writers just all these weird ways that votes come down to the the the, the smallest thing he he has found himself outside and and one of the things that i always heard was said was like well you can't let them all in why can't you let all the brooklyn dodgers in if all of the Brooklyn Dodgers are Hall of Famers, well, then they are Hall of Famers. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it, outside of the numbers. Uh, it's also the, the 
the Brooklyn connection. And, and the fact is that outside, uh, after the Dodgers left, not only had he married a Brooklyn girl, of course, but he also stayed here and then eventually came back with the Mets and, and was such a big part of the community outside of winning a World Series with them and never getting an opportunity to grow as a manager, never, ever having that chance after winning the World Series and having some 8379 years. It just all of a sudden vanished. And and there's so many different reasons why to, to you know, specifically about the heart attack to, to consider. Um, you know, I heard that he, you know, Gil Hodges Jr. has been on the podcast and he talks about how he never wanted to talk about the things that happened back back in the war and, and how sometimes that may have, you know, he, he never, he couldn't even remember him talking about it outside of just the family, you know, t- telling stories to the family. So he was also a smoker. And the combination of those two things may have unfortunately led to his, his untimely passing. And it's, it's so unfortunate you know, still just looking looking at the ripple effect of his death, not only just in, in terms of not even having a chance to defend himself post, you know, in terms of the Hall of Fame vote going forward and that people have had to do it on his behalf posthumously. You know, it's we really need to right the wrong for, you know, one way or another. Excellent point. Yeah, if, if you don't mind, Sam is aware of this story. And it goes back to when I was a child. I was six years old. And I lived on a dead-end block, East 45th and East Flatbush. And one day, I'm out in front of the house. It's a dead-end block, so there's absolutely no cars going down it unless you live on that block. So being out on the street is a safe thing to do. You know, me and a couple other kids were outside, and then the grown-ups on the block collect us all together and walk us in mass, growing up parents, little kids like myself. They bring us all up Snyder Avenue. And what I saw and what I had to be educated on after the fact, what I saw was the motorcade going towards the cemetery, mm-hmm. Bill Hodges' funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, little did I know he would be buried within maybe 2,000 feet from where I live. Wow. I saw it go by. And once we got back to the block, that's when I received my education and Gil Hodges, who he was to the Mets, who he was as a Brooklyn Dodger and who he was as a, an adopted Brooklynite. True story. That's mm-hmm. when my education began. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it circles or it cycles back to your point before about how the borough embraced Gil Hodges and in return, how he embraced us. And lo and behold, as a six-year-old, he's already in my life in a major impactful way. And you know uh, just to, I'm no, I'm sorry, just to roll off of, of Mike, it's, it's the way, it's weird the way all of this life, the way life comes together. And I was just out at my apartment that is uh, two blocks away from Holy Cross Cemetery. And I moved in on October 27th, 2015, the first day of the World Series. And, and I went to Gil Hodges' plot the day that, that it started. And I felt like I was, along with the Mets, was, was becoming an adult. Little did I know that Gil Hodges was basically saying, you have a long way to go. <laughs> However, <laughs> this is blocks away from 
where that motorcade, you know, what, what Mike was talking to. And I've heard that story numerous times and it still gets me every time. And, you know, especially just uh, today being Thursday is my Brooklyn day. Uh, I, I just kind of cycle in and out, but definitely on Thursdays. And I was a block away from where he is and I didn't get a chance to go over there today, but it's, I, I never forget, you know, and I inadvertently moved over there that way, you know, just like a real, a realtor found me the place. It wasn't like, find me this near a, a Dodgers thing. It's remarkable. You know, Jeff, we're having all these people on and everyone is giving their feelings on why and who Gil Hodges was, what he meant to them and, and why he's been done a disservice by not being in the hall of fame. But you know what? There is someone, there are people that obviously did not vote for him. We, we really should talk to them and then smack them in the head. But that's another story. I don't advocate violence, but I think they need a good, they need a good smack in the head because everyone we've spoken to same sentiments, you know, Right. And we, we've spoken to uh, Kevin Kernan, a writer from the New York Post, now writes for Bull 9. And he told us that as a manager, he was an innovator. He took the, he, he, all his pitchers were, were fine because he, he started the five-man rotation. So his pitchers lasted throughout the year where the other teams, I guess the Cubs, they, they tired out. He platooned, as we, as we know. I know we spoke to Ed Cranepool. He wasn't very happy being platooned, but he, he, he Bought in with the program, knowing it was best for the team. Gil Hodges, not just a great player by the numbers and by the integrity, but by the being the manager. Look, he took a, a lousy Senators team and made them decent before coming over to the Mets. And obviously, we know what happened with, with the Mets, and it was just a, a shame. Uh, it's just a terrible tragedy how how he passed uh, at the end of spring training in '72. Just just terrible. And, you know, he wasn't the most, insofar as the manager-player relationship, he wasn't the most well-liked person, but he was so respected. Jerry Kuzman recently said, I think within the last year I heard this, that if Gil Hodges' office door was open, that Jerry Kuzman would try to scoop by as quickly as possible without, without being <laughs> seen this way as, as to avoid a confrontation. But Sam, on the Bedford & Sullivan podcast, He's talked to Carl Erskine. And on the Metzian podcast, we've talked to Frank Thomas. And they say the same thing. It's they're again, I love to use the word ponderous. They're just as in a bewilderment that he's not in the Hall of Fame as everybody else. Well, and and I, I remember the last vote. You thought, you know, because Tommy Lasorda, I believe, was was on the panel. You thought that like something was going to give. And I, I think it, it was something, I forget what the, you know, the voting has changed since this last vote happened. I can't, I feel like it was over the last decade that I'm talking about, but can anybody, does anybody remember the last time that he was up for it? It was about a decade ago. I think they have those, those uh, golden year committees every 10 years. Yeah. So I, I feel like at this point, you know, you've had, uh, I think Ken Rosenthal is married to somebody related and has advocated for him uh, with, you know, with full disclosure of his of his relationship. You know, Tom and, Roducci and I, is. I, oh, Tom, Tom thank Roducci you. Thank you. Is. So and I just think that there's been enough of a drumming of it. You know, now we're living within 
the social media world, the hashtag world. I think after this round, everybody knows that the most important veteran golden age vote is Gil Hodges. Len, oh, a, a big show. I mean, a yeah. lot of information. And thank you to the Metzian podcast. Those yeah. guys really know their stuff. Yes. And also make extremely convincing arguments. It's a shame, first of all, that we even have to do something like this, but we're trying to I say right or wrong. I mean, it's not like this is politics, you know, a major. This isn't world hunger, but it is something that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's all. So if we could do anything to help push this over the edge, we, we want to do it. And if you have anything to say, give us a call. 516-855-8214. Email us. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. Our Facebook is Baseball and BBQ. We're on the Twitter at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And uh, rate and review us, and we hopefully you would give us a five-star rating. We, we would appreciate it. If you like episodes like this, let us hear from you. And if you do like episodes like this, you're in luck because we had more people arguing why Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. And they will be featured on episode 108. Exactly. Something to look forward to. Look forward to it. And Jeff, this has been extremely entertaining and meaningful. I hope that it that it did some good. So uh, looking forward to speaking to you on our next episode. Okay. See you then. So I say D. I say D-O. D-O-D. D-O-D-G. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. Team, 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 team. Oh.